Hey everybody, this is So Heidi, and you're listening to the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. We all know that the fashion industry is brutally competitive and it takes loads of hard work to get ahead. The problem is that everyone's secretive and tight-lipped about their ways. After working as a designer and educator for over a decade, I wanted to help break down those barriers and bring you valuable knowledge from industry experts, and this show is exactly where you'll find that. Whether you're trying to break into the fashion world, make yourself more marketable, launch your own label, or become a successful freelancer, we'll help you get ahead in the cutthroat fashion industry. This is episode 41 of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast, and today I'm chatting with Trisha Hoke of Hello World Fashion. Hello World Fashion is a studio located in downtown Los Angeles, and through the studio, Trisha works with designers and brands to help them do essentially everything from the initial design and development process through sampling and bulk production. The studio itself offers small sample runs or small production runs, which are done right there in the heart of LA. And what I love so much about how Trisha runs this business is that she doesn't look at this as just another sample room or manufacturer who's there to take your check and do your product however you tell her to do it. She's really critical and honest, and I don't want that to come off the bad way, but she's really constructively critical and honest when it comes to how you're setting up your business, what your designs are, and she'll give you her completely unfiltered advice and guidance to make sure you set yourself up for success. So unlike a lot of manufacturers or sample rooms or production houses, like I said, that may just take your your money and do your designs exactly how you tell them, she's going to give you her honest feedback to help make sure if you could make a few tweaks or if there's a different or better way to do it, she's going to tell you that, which is something that I think is so cool and so rare to find in businesses these days. In our interview, Trisha shares tons of advice and funny stories about what she's learned in over her decade of industry experience. We talk about when you may want to source locally versus going offshore Things like what your thought process should be when it comes to using stock or custom fabrics, and even down to what your retail versus wholesale pricing structure and strategy should look like so you do set yourself up for success. One of my favorite things that Trisha talks about in this interview is what designers always come to her asking and the questions she thinks they should be asking instead. I wish people would ask me kind of what's the best way to do this instead of what I normally get, which is like, I want to make pants. How much is that? One more quick announcement before going on to the interview with Trisha is that Trisha and I are actually going to be throwing a party in L.A., We are going to do this at her studio, Hello World Fashion, and it's in downtown LA on Monday, March 19th, 2018. It's really casual, meet and greet, happy hour. We have drinks provided by Saucy. We're going to have beer and wine. And I'm also going to be doing a book signing for the book I just released, Ultimate Guide to Being a Freelance Fashion Designer. So if you want to grab a copy, that would be the best place to do it. Uh, yeah, so we'd love to see you guys there. If you want any details for that, you can get them all at sfdnetwork.com slash party. Again, it's Monday, March 19th, 2018, sfdnetwork.com slash party. Would love to meet all of you guys there. 
As always, if you don't want to miss out on upcoming episodes, make sure to hit subscribe on iTunes or wherever you're listening. And if you enjoy the show, I'd be super thrilled if you'd take 30 seconds to leave a rating or review on iTunes. It really does help out, and I appreciate it so much. You can do all of that at sfdnetwork.com slash review. To access the show notes for today's episode, visit sfdnetwork.com slash 41. Now on to the episode with Trisha. Uh-huh. You ready? <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, Trisha, welcome to the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. Um, quick little backstory. We've known each other for what? Like over a decade, do you think? Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure over a decade. Yeah. Okay. And we met, um, I won't say any brand names, but we met, it was my first fashion job out of college and your second or first? No, it was my first real fashion job. Okay. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. Okay. And we've been best friends ever since running yeah. across the country, back and forth, always missing each other in New York versus Denver versus LA. Um, I mean, thank God for Skype. <laughs> right? Right? Just a quick quick behind-the-scenes glimpse for everybody. Um, we're not doing it right now, but often Trisha and I get on Skype, and we have Takati dates. We crack a beer and, and chat for a while, so it's super fun. Um, let's start out with a quick introduction of who you are and what you currently do in the fashion industry. Sure. Well, as you guys know, I'm Trisha. Trisha Hoke. Um, my company is called Hello World Fashion, and it is based in downtown LA um, in the fashion district. And Hello World Fashion is a fully in-house design development pattern sample studio uh, with a tech-facing layer. So we work with fashion tech companies, independent designers, and even just people who just, you know, want samples made. Um, we kind of do it all. Okay. So for all the people out there listening who, let's say, you know, there's various stages they may be. They may have an idea. They may have a napkin sketch. They may have a prototype that they put together on their own machine. Maybe they have a prototype that they worked with someone to develop. So where, like, within any of those stages would someone come to you? And then what what does your process look like in terms of working with people who are doing their own thing or want to do their own thing? So, well, I answer your first question. Uh, when they come to me, it can be at any time. So we service clients that are like, you know, I rolled out of bed and woke up this morning and had a really good idea for a shirt and I don't know where to go because I'm not in the fashion industry and have no idea. All the way up to I have larger clients who do large quantities and they come to us and they say, man, we're really overpaid for this and we need to find either an offshore, a new solution, um, all the way to people who are like, I'm building this larger company and I have, you know, venture funding or whatever and we need supply chain support. So we really have a range of services that we offer, um, including some tech portions of it. I have a, a tech partner that will help build out Shopify and integrations and do some of these newer things that are kind of coming up in our industry. Okay. So I know I didn't even let you get to the second question, but let, <laughs> based on <laughs> based on what I know from most of the people who probably are listening to this, let's kind of focus on 
the first person um, who, you know, maybe they rolled out of bed, they had an idea, or, you know, maybe they might have like a, a hand sketch or something to that extent. And then, and maybe they even do have a little bit of industry knowledge because they've worked in the industry, but they've never really started their own thing from scratch. So for that person, um, talk us through a little bit of like what the journey looks like working with you. Like where do we start and, and how does that all progress? Sure. So typically I start just by, you know, doing like what we're doing now. I hop on the phone with a person and we just kind of get to know each other. Um, I do free consultations for new clients where I just, I want to learn what are you trying to do? What is your goal? I think um, once that's kind of done, we assess, you know, what services do you need? Are you still looking for fabric and you need sourcing? Um, Are you planning on going to production and growing this? Or are you just like getting something done now and then trying to establish if you have a sales channel for it? So uh, I I spend a lot of time asking um, the same questions (laughs) over and over (laughs) to lots of different people. Um, But they're important questions, and I think um, one of the things I really wanted to do when I created the studio is I remember being an independent designer myself. Um, I really enjoyed reading your stories recently because it just brought back, like, flashbacks of (laughs) um, hauling hauling rolling racks to, you know, places. Um, But one of the things that used to frustrate me so much when I was an independent designer was I would call somebody and be like, hey, I need to do this. And I was reaching out for help or situations, and I felt like all they wanted to know was how many was I going to make. Or they would ask me questions that I didn't really know, and I was like, well, what do you mean? Like, just help me do this. Mm. Um, But now that I've been in the industry for a long enough time, we won't say how long, um, I see why they're asking these questions. Because a lot of what your plan is to do drives the decisions you make today, even at the very beginning. And the whole goal of Hello World is to help you be successful in your product and your business. And we want to help you scale um, if you want to. If you're just looking for samples, that's easy. We can do that. But if you're looking for samples and you want to start a business and you want to have it build so that you can come back and get the same product over and over and go from 10 pieces to a hundred pieces to thousands of pieces and, you know, really grow your business. That is our goal and why we built an all inclusive kind of studio um, with outsourced production capabilities, because we really want to help, you know, see our people go through the process and get there. That's awesome. And it's so true. Like that question of, well, how many do you want to make? And, and I too understand why that's an important question. But I think, like you said, when you're first starting out, that can really kind of throw you off. You're like, well, I don't even know how many I want to make yet because I, I haven't gotten started. Like, I don't even know what this all looks like. Um, so kind of starting there, like I come to you with a napkin sketch. We have a quick chat, um, listening, Everybody listening out there, uh, free consultation from Trisha. Great opportunity to take her up on 15 minutes of awesome brainstorming or however long it may be. Um, a wealth of knowledge, so definitely do that. But um, that being said, I come to you and I say, okay, I have this idea and I want to work with you. So where do we go from from there? Right. So once we kind of establish your needs, uh, I've built out for my company some 
cool pricing structures. I call them packages. Uh, so for new designers, typically what we're doing is we're doing a new designer package or we're doing a new collection package, one or five pieces. Um, and these packages really take you from start to finish. I help you by doing fabric sourcing. We get your sketches done. We get line sheets done for you. We do your tech packs, samples. We'll do online virtual fittings if you're not in the state of California or near L.A. If you're in L.A., you can come into our studio and do the fittings. Um, but we really take you the whole process all the way through to a production-ready pack. And at the end, you're getting a production quote whatever your production may be. Maybe you're making 10 pieces and I'm doing it in my sample room. Maybe you're making 500 pieces and I'm doing it in India. Um, either way, we've discussed your project, we've planned it out together, and, and you've purchased this package price, which has, you know, it does go through a formula. Every garment needs a tech pack. Every garment needs a pattern. Every garment needs, you know, trims right. or labels. Uh, every garment needs... <laughs> a way to pack it so that you don't get your production in a trash bag at the end of your production, which uh, I, I learned the hard way. Um, so, you, you know, um, I don't know if you ever experienced that, but one of my first um, things as an independent designer, I went to pick up my garments from a manufacturer and because I didn't give them, you know, anything to finish the garment or fold it or put it into. No, I didn't tell them to put it in a box. I didn't tell them to put it in poly bags. And so all of my brand new dresses were in a giant garbage bag when I picked it up. Literally in it a garbage fairly, bag. <laughs> it, was it was defeating. <laughs> so here's my, my design dresses literally in a garbage bag when I picked them up from my supplier. But it's like... I can totally see how that would happen because you as an independent new designer, like you just, I think it's very easy to assume what things should happen or in your head, you, you just kind of, you assume that, well, of course they should fold it and put it into an individual poly bag, but from the vendor side, they don't know that if you don't tell them because like you said some people do want it in individual poly bags some people want it hung some people want it in a box and so those are like the little details that you wouldn't even ever think about and then you're left with like a garbage bag full of stuff and it's like oh god what do I even do with this now <laughs> even if they are put in a poly bag let's say you had three styles all using the same fabric and you go and you pick up your boxes and maybe they weren't labeled or maybe you didn't tell the factory how many to put in a box or what to do. Yeah. And then suddenly you're at your house and you're getting all these e-commerce orders. And every time somebody orders the tank and the tea, you can't tell the difference because you didn't put a sticker on the poly bag to say which one was the tank and which one was the tea. Right. So little details. you have to unwrap every package before you send it to your customers because nobody helped you think ahead because it's not their job to think ahead. They were just there to sew the product for you. You paid them to sew the product and put them in the bag, but you didn't pay them to tell you what to do to set up their shipping. Right, right. And it's all those things you just so, don't think about until you learn it the hard way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, okay, so let's talk a little bit about sourcing because I think this is somewhere where it can be really hard to find the right materials or the right trims or to find them in the minimums that you need. Um, and we'll start with 
um, a question that um, one of the listeners sent in, um, Kimberly sent this in. And so she says, have you come across fabric mills who allow for much smaller orders for fabrics that are not in stock? It seems that a lot of indie designers have to buy their fabrics and trims from jobbers, and there is much less of a guarantee that they will be able to find the same fabric qualities for a second production cut. So can you talk a little bit about like your experience with that? Yeah, so this is kind of a two-part question. Um, as far as mills doing smaller orders, you know, it, making fabric is a much bigger process than I think anybody can imagine. Um, probably 90% of the world's fabric is not made in America. And one of the reasons China still remains today as one of the top manufacturing countries is because since they were doing it for so long and really built such an infrastructure, I mean, most of the mills that make fabric are in Asia and Taiwan and, and then India is, you know, probably number two. Um, Making fabric is a huge process of taking fiber into yarn into, you know, the actual knitting or weaving. You you can't exactly do that for just five yards. Um, you know, and that's an extreme example. But the reason people have minimums on fabric making is that it's just actually hard to make less fabric than what the mill is requesting. Sometimes you will have mills who will make smaller fabrics, and, and I, I've seen this sometimes with companies that are, are their own mill and offer their own stock um, because they've already kind of got their formulas down. But if you're ever making less than the minimum, you're paying a surcharge. It's just like production. If you're, you're not aggregating the machine or, or the, the materials across a whole line. Uh, it costs more. Um, because it takes the same amount of effort to to mill or knit or weave the fabric. So, like, what might and I we won't quote you on this, but like, what might some of those minimums look like? Like, are we talking like fifty to a hundred yards or five hundred to a thousand yards? Like, give us or can you give us a range? Yeah, I mean, I don't personally know factories that will often do fifty or a hundred yards for just one order. Most of the the mills will do 50 or 100 yards as a sample or a test for a much larger order to come. And so that's where these these questions of like, well, how much are you planning on making? And these kind of inquisitive questions that kind of get you (laughs) at the heart when you're a young designer and you don't really know what you're doing. Um, The reason they're asking is because they have no problem taking a bet on you or making you know, doing something smaller, but they want to ensure that the time they're putting in is going to pay off later. So they want to make sure you've done your research and you have a sales channel and stuff like that. So if you're not there yet, that goes to the second part of this question where she's talking about jobbers or stock fabric. And I think that what we really need to do is define what is a jobber and what stock fabric. So a jobber is somebody who buys leftover fabric and sells it. And jobbers are great because you can get really awesome fabrics for cheap. Um, but jobbers aren't great because eventually that really awesome fabric supply dries up or, you know, you can't find it again. And then you have to go make it for your reorder and making it might be like a thousand yards or whatever. So that can be a dangerous situation. You have to know your production quantities again to kind of understand, am I doing these this dress? 
and I'm going to constantly change the fabric up, then jobbers are great. But if you're not going to constantly change the fabric up, you might then go to a stock supplier. A stock supplier is a mill who either knits or weaves fabric, and they do it ahead of time so that you can then order from that as many yards as you want. So there's a lot of stock suppliers, and they'll sell you one yard, five yards, 15 yards, all the way up to you can go straight to the mill and order the huge production quantity. Um, Stock mills will give you a color card. They are consistent. You can order over and over again, and it's a great way to start your business, especially if you're going to build out hero products and go every year, you know, with the same, but maybe change the color up. And that's what I often tell people to do to like, you know, maximize the the upfront cost of building a clothing company. Um, one caveat to this is sometimes you go overseas uh, and this happens a lot more in India than it does in China. And you say stock fabric and they say, yes, we have stock fabric, but really what it is is it's, leftover cut of fabric in the back. <laughs> um, so that's a little harder to navigate. But as far as, you know, if you're getting a stock fabric and there's a color card, yeah, you're not always guaranteed that it'll be in stock. Sometimes you need that yellow and you need five yards and they ran out of yellow and you have to wait eight weeks. But that's better than having to go buy thousands of yards. Right. Um, and I think like, cause I can even remember doing some stuff with, um, the other thing I want to just throw in there is I can remember developing some custom fabric for some customers of mine. And the other thing you really have to think about is the time that it takes to go through that development process. The stock fabric you can get oftentimes you can get it tomorrow. Um, but if you're doing custom development, you know, the the whole design development process already takes a long time. And then you throw in custom fabric into there and that adds a good chunk of lead time that you need to calculate for. Um, I don't know if you have any especially thoughts on that. If yeah. you need, well, especially if you need that fabric for samples, like if you're making sales samples and then you have to go and place your production order. So let's say you did talk to a mill and they agreed to make you 300 yards. You made your salesman samples you went to market, you sold, and then you have to go to production again. You know, (laughs) you have to knit the fabric again. So it it could be an extremely long lead time. Yeah. Um, The only time stock fabric really ever gets people is I will sometimes have people that want stock fabric, which I purchase here in the U.S. has great stock fabric sources. Most of those fabrics are made in Asia and then imported in and held in warehouses in L.A. or in Canada or wherever they happen to be. Um, But when you're, like, developing the product, and I'll make the product in my sample room, and then we go to Asia and order 500, what do we do then, right? I'm not going to ship 500 yards from my stock source in L.A. over to Asia. Asia. (laughs) Because that's, like... Not only the carbon footprint, but like double the margin to get it back over there. But they don't have enough. They don't have enough yardage to actually warrant making the fabric there. So in those cases, I have some contacts with mills that I work closely with that will do smaller amounts, but they're not small amounts. They're smaller, and we pay surcharges. So, um, but the surcharge is better than the shipping price to ship it, you know, back to Asia. 
Um, the other thing is, is Asia has great stock fabric market. So oftentimes what I end up doing is working with stock fabric from Asia, and I'll actually just import the sample fabric in, make the samples out of the correct fabric, and then make sure that's the fabric that we're working with. Gotcha. So that's really how I suggest to do it when I'm doing offshore production for people. Okay, that's that's smart um, sort of planning ahead type of setup. Um, okay, so you just mentioned their surcharges. So this leads perfectly into um, Kimberly's second question, which is, um, do you find that indie designers will usually have to set their pricing relatively high in order to compensate for small orders, fabric surcharges, etc.? So I love this question because I think that first of all, pricing is a really tricky space. And when you're first starting out, like things cost, I think, first of all, more than you think they're going to cost. Um, but but her angle is kind of like, how as a startup designer, do I compensate for these high charges that I have to pay? Or maybe there's a way to do it differently. So what are your thoughts on that? Um, well, the first thing I want to just say is a blanket yes, but... <laughs> obviously more complicated than that. Um, I think a lot of times designers get into this space and they aren't actually thinking about their product in terms of wholesale and retail. So they aren't actually thinking about the correct margins. Um, so like I've often had people that are like, oh my gosh, I need to, I need to make this dress for, for $6 because I've only, you know, I've sold it at this much and $6 might not be feasible. It might not be the cost that you need to do. And if you haven't built in that wholesale margin for yourself. So if you're selling online and you're selling your own product, that doesn't mean that you can only put one margin in. Explain that in specific Hello? detail for people that might not understand what you're saying. So give us some examples of like how, like where your cost is versus your wholesale margin versus your retail margin and how that that kind of builds into your costing. Okay. So we'll use a really simple example. So let's say you're making something for $5 and that's what you've paid. And, and that includes your material, like it's a pouch or something. And that includes all your materials and everything, the sewing and everything that went into it. And then you go online and you sell it for $10, but then direct a store. To, direct wants to your consumer. To, direct to your consumer and then a store wants to start selling them out of their store. So suddenly they're like, well, if you're selling it for $10, I need to buy it for, you know, two fifty. And then you can't go back and get any of that margin. You need to build in, it should be $5 and it should be at the very least you sell it for $10 and then the retailers would sell it for $20. It's, it's a keystone. Yeah. Um, and and by doing that and taking that margin yourself on your e-commerce means that you have the ability to give yourself some room to grow. So maybe you can't get it for $5 until you're doing a thousand of them, but you've already priced yourself with enough margin to be able to pay maybe $9 and still make some money so that you can get there someday. Do you... And and I don't know if we want to stray too much off topic into this whole rat hole, but like, do you have any thoughts on the concept of like 
going only direct to consumer, cutting out the middleman, being able to create a better, higher quality product for your customer, and then selling it at maybe not quite wholesale, but let's say you take that $5 pouch and you sell it for $12 instead of selling it for $20. Um, Cause I, and this is like, I, like I said, could be a whole different conversation with some of the shifts that we're seeing in the industry where brands are going direct to the consumer um, and some of the shifts in retail. So I, I don't know, do you have any thoughts or insights on, on that type of strategy for pricing? I mean, I think that, there's always those types of models. Um, But I also think that, you know, you still have to keep in mind what economies of scale can do. So if you're making um, a designer dress, like just don't undercut yourself. If you're doing some of these models, like kind of like, I think you're talking about like the Everlane model where you're you're basically doing the whole, I'm cutting out the middleman, going straight to the consumer type of thing. That's great, but I guarantee you Everlane is still making a full margin. And I guarantee you that Everlane didn't price themselves um, <laughs> out of the market. So Everlane might be going direct to the consumer with no middleman, but their shirts still don't cost the same as H&M. Right. I mean, yeah, that's a whole different structure. So, so but. There are lots of different structures that you can do, but you do have to cover your costs. And so that's where the blanket yes comes in, right? Because yes, you probably as an independent designer are going to have to price higher than maybe where some of your customers are used to shopping because you're not Target. You're not H&M. You don't make 50,000 of them. You can't get really cheap fabrics because you're not purchasing into them really high end. So what is your product and who is your target market? Yeah, so um, let's talk a little bit about that in terms of, and maybe this is a good time for you to share some of the stuff that you guys do um, that Hello World Fashion does with sort of the tech layer. Um, And I mean that not necessarily in terms of like wearables, but just technology in general. And you can can talk more specifically to that. But, um, you know, what are some of the ways you guys work with brands in terms of helping them set up a platform and build a foundation for success and what are the different ways that like technology might play a role in that? Well, so a lot of new technology models are coming out that are doing kind of a made to order and made to measure thing. Um, It kind of seems like every day somebody's got a new kind of app for, you know, pick this and, and select it. It's going beyond just the society six artwork now. Right. So these kind of direct direct to consumer models in manufacturing are becoming more popular. They are more expensive. It, it still costs more to cut one each time than it does to cut a hundred. But there are certain aspects that you can do to kind of make it. Uh, you can do certain things to, to kind of tweak it. So one of the things that I really want to do with Hello World is I really want to support these new models and these new e-commerce models. And that doesn't necessarily mean that they're cheaper, but I think that I'm just more open and willing to work with them. So made to measure is like those tailoring apps where people will go in and, and pick out one product and pick out maybe the collar they want or the cuff they want. And then they say what their measurements are. And then it gets drafted just for them with all of the new pattern drafting software that's available. This has become a, a reality 
Um, sublimated goods are another example of this where you can go in and you can make, you know, it used to just be your biking shirts and coming from Colorado, I think that um, <laughs> you probably understand this, uh, but it used to just be like biking teams and running teams would do this type of process. But it's kind of come into fashion more often now. Does that answer your question? Yeah, no, I think it does. And I think it's, um, it's, I like the direction you're going because you're working with these brands in terms of not just coming to you to create their pattern and create their sample and then perhaps ultimately create their production, but also thinking about, well, maybe doing some type of made to measure or really limited run offering is a better setup for you. And so if I'm if I'm hearing everything right, like you spend a lot of time talking to people figuring out, you know, what do you want your brand to look like? What are you planning for the future if if they've even thought that far, kind of giving them some guidance to start thinking about those things and then helping them get on the right path to to get to where they are trying to go to and working with them along the way in case, you know, maybe they need a change course because something happened or or all sorts of variables and obstacles come up. And is that a fair assessment? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, the made to measure, made to order, these kinds of things, normal manufacturers and normal, you know, vendors, they don't really know how to structure it. It's not their status quo. We don't want to be status quo. We want to help people develop this kind of business. We want to help them get there and find creative solutions and work together with them. Um, and we want to be able to help them scale and find a plan for the future. So what happens when you're doing made to order and it's batched out or what happens when you're a company who wants to, you know, upcycle, maybe you want to use post-consumer waste and turn it into clothing. How do you turn that into something? I don't know any manufacturer that would really work with you to kind of develop that and do that and set it up. But that's exactly what we want to do for people. Um, and it, it doesn't have to be these special models. It can be a regular product. But the point is, is that we bring you in, we figure out what your needs are, we figure out what your goals are, and then we help you set up a plan and a situation to get you there. It made me think your your comment of the um, maybe you're using uh, I forget the exact term you use but maybe you're using like waste material or not waste that sounds like trash but leftover Up upcycled yeah the upcycled materials yeah. so like I don't know if you've heard of or anyone out there listening has heard of um, zero waste Daniel he's gotten pretty big over the past year and he takes literally scraps of fabric like they can be a two by two inch scrap and he patchworks them into fabric and then he turns those fabrics in he like literally patches them into yards of fabric and then he cuts those yards of patchworked fabric together into sweatshirts and leggings and t-shirts it's really really cool and like you said there like yeah he's doing it all in this studio in Brooklyn and or somewhere in New York and I I think he's got a sewer that works with him but if he went to some vendor some manufacturer some contract sewer and said here's this bag full of literally a trash bag full of fabric scraps and I want to 
turn it into this? Like, can you work with me? I think you're probably right. Like a lot of places would be like, nah, it's not really up our alley. But that's something where you'd be like, you know what? Okay, yeah, this is cool. Let's figure out a way to do this. Um, So just for an extreme example, that was the first thing I thought of. Is that right? Right. So, you know, obviously that's not going to cost the same (laughs) as, you know, coming to me and making a (laughs) t-shirt. But essentially you're right. Um, There's another designer in Brooklyn that does that with her wedding dress scraps. So she's a bridal studio and she saves all her scraps and then turns them into these like beautiful designs. Yeah. Um, Okay, wait, so let's talk, okay, so you just, you just opened up the can of worms of like the cost when you said, yeah, that's not going to cost the same (laughs) as if you're going to cut and sew something from rolls of fabric that already exist and you don't have to patchwork them together. So, um, you know, before we started recording, you made a comment that you would um, be happy to talk a little bit about just pricing and in terms of, you know, where people's mindsets are and and this is a blanket statement so I don't want to say everybody's guilty of this but like coming to someone who they want to help them start their fashion brand and some people have like an expectation of things being free or I don't know if I'm wording it correctly um but do you want to talk a little bit about that no yeah I get what you're saying so well first of all I think a lot of times people come to me and you know, I'm really open and I enjoy talking to people. Um, but then they think that 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 just kind of like continues and they can just like source a whole bunch of stuff. Um, so, you know, while I certainly don't mind having the first chat and figuring out the goals of a company, going into, uh, you know, sourcing every idea that comes into your head, like that takes time and not just my time, but my vendor's time. So I have to be careful and kind of like, you know, charge, charge for my time and my fees and how many times it takes to uh, go back and forth on email with a vendor. Right. There's that. And then there's also, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of designers who are just starting out don't understand the economy of scale. So, you know, if you're going in and you're like, well, I just want to get 20 pieces. So it should only be a couple hundred dollars. Well, wrong. You have to set up everything (laughs) first and that costs the same if you make 20 pieces or if you make 50,000 pieces, the setup is still the setup. Things like drafting your patterns and grading and all of the fundamental pieces that go into it. Right. All the brain work, the fittings, the sample making, it's, you don't, and I think a lot of people want to just be like, well, I just want to make a bikini. Can you just, can you just make this for me? And it's like, well, sure, I can make this for you, but we have to decide on what I, what I'm making for you. And we have to decide what it is. And you know, if I were just going to be a sample room who was just going to knock off samples and make your sample for you, well, I can certainly do that. Um, it's not setting you up for long-term business, which is really our goal, it, whether it's with me or someone else. So, yeah, talk a little bit more then about the difference between just going to a sample room and having your samples made there, which is fine. And that works for a lot of people. And that's a very traditional model um, versus, you know, what are some of the things you guys do differently 
during that process to help set these brands up for long-term success? Like, what would that experience look like working with you? And how does that differ and help contribute to my potential company brand growth versus going to a traditional sample room and then having them just make my sample? Well, I think one thing is, is, you know, you're paying us for the development and the setup. So we're going to help you by giving you fabric sources. Like we're not going to hold anything back. I'm not going to hold your patterns. I'm not an agent. I'm here to make it so that when you leave, whether you've paid for development or or just something like a pattern, you get what you paid for. Mm. Then production is a new kind of like development. While I can always quote production and manage the production, sometimes I manage the production. Sometimes I introduce you to somebody and have you work with them. And then I'm just here consulting in the background. Um, Everybody needs something slightly different. It's really hard to pull together some packages. But then, like I said, there's a, there's a formula and a system to these things. Every garment needs a pattern I believe every garment needs a tech pack, whether <laughs> necessarily need that at first or not, I understand is debatable, but if you're going to grow and you're going to source, which you're going to have to source with multiple people at some point, no matter how much you like your first vendor, um, you need to have something to help you keep consistency. And there are companies, I'm working with a company right now that is selling hundreds of thousands of units and they don't have a tech pack and a standard way to measure. And he is like, I don't understand how we can't make the same thing over and over. And I was like, well, you're not telling them what to make. So it, it becomes really important. Those types of items. Um, Did I answer your question? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, and I, I love that you, you made the comment at the beginning of like being fully transparent. Cause I think that that's something really scary in this industry. Um, especially when you're first starting out and maybe you don't know, like, should I have asked when I do this project with you, do I get my patterns at the end of the day or I just get the sample? And then if I want the patterns, I have to pay another $500 to actually get them in my possession or things like that or like oh hey you sourced this great fabric for me and we made my 20 samples and now if I need this again like I feel almost handcuffed if if these things are kept from me um and you might not not even you might you wouldn't know if you're just starting out you wouldn't know to ask those questions at the beginning until you would learn that lesson the really hard way that's true and a lot of agents kind of bank on that and when you go to a full package factory and have them do your development they bank on that because they don't charge you the development fees up front because they say okay well we're going to make this for you but then these are our patterns not your patterns so you know that's kind of the the danger um where you'll save some in the front end you'll lose in the back end um, and so for everybody out there listening who might not know, give us a quick explanation of a full package production facility. Like, what does that look like? So full package production facility is when you go to a factory and they help you by making your patterns for you, by finding the fabric for you. And they basically just kind of do what I do. They talk to you and get an idea for your business. And then once 
they've made you a sample and you say, okay, they go straight into production. Well, what happens if they take your price up $3 next year? Or, you know, what happens if the next time they send you a sample, you're not happy? Um, it's their fabric. It's their fabric source. It's their pattern. So they don't, they don't have those things. And I don't always provide those items. Um, sometimes I'm actually managing full package with other people and there are good full package suppliers Mm -hmm. and there are ways to get out of this and there are ways to work around it. But I do think that when you're starting your company and you're building your proprietary kind of styles, you do need to have this information at hand. Yeah. Um, you just said a word there that made me want to bring something up. You said proprietary. Um, and I literally had someone email me the other day and said, hey, I'm, uh, I have got this really great idea and I am working with a sample sewer to have them just create a prototype. Oh, my God, should I have had them sign an NDA? And they panic with like, oh, my gosh, is this person going to take my brilliant idea and run with it? Um So would you talk a little bit about like protecting yourself and when you should or shouldn't be worried and what your options really are? Like if you do have a really unique idea that perhaps you could feel like is worth protecting? Um, I mean, I really think that if you feel like your idea is really that unique, that it would be something that would be patentable. And you would be able to go, you know, get a patent on it. Um, That said, there's plenty of people who have built products that need patents in conjunction with their manufacturer. And you need to make sure you have, you know, have that in mind. If you're just making shorts or, you know, (laughs) dresses and you're worried that somebody is going to take your kind of fashion idea as far as styles or... there's really no point in worrying because a, there's no legal way to protect yourself and B it's going to change next season. Right. Like just focus on moving forward and moving ahead. Um, The other thing is, is that as a designer, you're really establishing your own fit and you're establishing your core products and you're establishing your sales strategy you shouldn't be so focused on what other people are going to take from you and be more focused on just making a good project, a good, a good product that you can sell that people want to buy. Yeah. I think that's a really important point. And the other thing that I always say to people is your sewing contractor, your sample sewer, your pattern maker, you know, someone like you, like you, Trisha, like you're not in the business of, taking someone's idea and then trying to put it into market for yourself like that's you're there as a vendor as a supplier as a partner with that that designer and so you're not in the business of taking their idea and putting it into production and trying to take it to market yourself like that's always the first thing that I think of I'm like this is not what they're trying to do they're there to provide you with a service um whatever that service may be their their business is not creating and selling a product. Is that a fair right. statement? Yeah. Like I'll get Yeah, I'll give you an example though of how how maybe letting go of that and and being open <laughs> to your sewing contractor or your design studio can help. Um for example, I have two clients that make vintage style clothing. 
one client comes to me with vintage dresses to sew and the other client is coming to me who wants to develop a line of vintage dresses that have a modern appeal to them. So the first client, their dresses are very traditional, like 50s patterns, and we sew them for them. And, you know, we they're very established and we do this functional task. The second client, what I can do is I can be like, hey, we've been sewing these kinds of dresses. And I think if we did this style 50s dress with like a lace up in the front out of a denim or like some other different kind of fabric, it's a totally different style. It's not going to look the same at all. But we're able to kind of like take cue off of this other vintage company um, and they could take cue off of her and we can create products that are unique. And of course I'm not going to take anybody's, you know, there's no point in taking anybody's actual thing and just repurposing it for somebody. But that's the whole part of fashion, right? It's a motorcycle jacket, but made out of French Terry, but it's got your brand in it and your colors. Like, you know, how, how unique, how unique is all fashion in a sense? I think that that's where a lot of people, they get hung up on it and they don't need to. There's, there's a lot of collaboration that can happen and there's a lot more things in your product that make it uniquely yours. It's not just the pattern and the fabric and, and the design. It's your branding. It's how you put it out to your customers. There's so many more elements. Yeah, there's a lot. I think it's become a common, um, I don't want to say a trend because I actually don't think it is a trend or it will ever die, but it's been something I, I think is talked about a lot more in the past few years than has been in the past. But it's, you know, it's it's your story. Like what you're, you're at the end of the day, sometimes the customer, sometimes the customer is buying it just because it's a beautiful dress or a beautiful jacket or whatever it is. But sometimes, especially when it comes to indie designers, the customer is buying into it because they love your story. Like you said, they love your brand. They love your mission. There's something bigger than there that's not just the jacket or the dress. Um, Maybe it's a bit of an experience that they're getting, you know, if you're doing pop-up shops or something like that. Um, so I think there's there's more strategy to it than like what you said. It's not just the item. Um, on that note, do you guys do any um, support or guidance or consultation on helping brands get to market and actually sell? Like, what does that look like for them? What's their strategy? I know you said you do, you can help them put together line sheets, but like, what's their wholesale strategy? Like, how do they actually get out there and get the meetings with the buyers and sell? Or, you know, what's the strategy for going direct to consumer? Is that part of your business as well? Um, some of it. So, you know, I've worked with some companies that are doing kind of this direct to direct to consumer product where they're maybe selling uh, shirts that are, you know, customizable or whatever. And so we have a a tech team. What makes us different as well is we work with a tech team um, to build out technology. So our tech team can help you set up and build a Shopify store or help you if you have some kind of idea where you're like, I want to make this, but do it kind of like a Nike ID type of thing, or I want to build this and have this certain feature available we'll go in and help you figure out and establish these kind of technical details. Mm -hmm. Um, So it goes all the way from just helping you build a website with a Shopify or or a shop um, up to, you know, doing some sort of app. As far as go-to-market strategy, um, we do 
you know, consult on that a little bit. Uh, we, we're fairly product focused, so I wouldn't say that we're like a marketing firm or a sales firm or anything. Um, but we do have connections to help not only with factoring, but with um, retailers and some other things for the right kinds of companies. That doesn't typically, per, you know, go into independent designers because they're kind of smaller. But um, maybe someday soon we'll have a couple more connections for that type of stuff. Gotcha. And there's also the whole philosophy is of you can't do everything for everybody either. <laughs> um, you guys do a tremendous right. amount and provide a tremendous amount of expertise. Um, but at some point, you know, there's other things that someone else is, is a good, uh, has better expertise in. Um, but like you said, building those relationships and those connections to help um, connect the dots, which is something I love that you've, you've brought it up a couple times. Um, and I think that something people can discount is the value of the connections that their vendors have with each other. Um, unlike, and this is something I've heard from other people as well, unlike if you go to your, and I'm doing air quotes here, your competition, let's say the, the girl down the road that is also designing dresses, or in your example, also designing some thing like a vintage dress and you ask her where she got her fabric she may not tell you or where she got her patterns made she may not tell you but when you start working with the vendors it's in the vendors and and I say that in terms of people like you like hello world fashion and and fabric suppliers and whoever else it's in your best interest to help connect people with the right suppliers or other vendors because you have vested interest in their success because their success means more business for you. And so I think it's something just to really note that you shouldn't ever discount who your vendors can connect you with. And so in terms of talking to you and helping getting those introductions or finding the next person to supply the buttons or whatever the service or or trim or item may be. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, vendors kind of don't really have a dog in the race, if that makes sense. They <laughs> they want all of their clients to be successful and they'll help you, you know, find better price on zippers if they can um, or, you know, set up the strategies. And I think that that, that goes into your, your previous question. I'm not interested in your go-to-market strategy because I, I want to give you the best digital marketing plan. <laughs> I'm interested in it because I want to help you build your product to work. And so if your go-to-market strategy is, I'm going to make these shirts that are for college, you know, college football, but I'm going to go sell 20 of them and not have the college football logos on there and just see if people want to buy them, I'm probably going to, you know, tell you, I don't think that's a good go-to-market strategy. <laughs> um, but I'll tell you. And that's kind of the difference, I think, is is working with a consultant versus just working with a sample vendor. A sample vendor will just say, okay, great. Well, what shirts do you want to make? And they'll make them for you and take your money. And then you'll go to market and nobody will buy them. Mm. Whereas I'm I'm more interested in the, in the long term. So, okay, you're going to make these 20 shirts and try to talk people into buying them without the logo. What if we did something different that would, you know, help you actually sell them. So, you know, having those kinds of ideas and that kind of experience, I think is helpful. 
That's really cool. And it just really goes back to, I think we've said it a couple times throughout the interview, is looking at this like as really like a partnership that is best set up for both parties to continue to thrive and grow and be successful and not just this one-off job of, okay, sure, I'll take your money and do your samples and then probably never hear from you again because this idea is never going to work. Right. So um, really, really cool. Awesome stuff that you're doing. Um, Where can everybody find you online and learn more about what you guys do? So you can go to helloworldfashion.com and uh, learn more about that. And um, I think the site will be up in just a few days. I'm still fairly new. But uh, from there, you can connect with me. And we have a a way for you to just connect right in and go get a free consultation, which, like I said, is the best way to start. And then um, other than that, we're, we're in L.A. near downtown. So our website has the location and you guys can come in if you're local awesome awesome um so great to chat with you trisha and i'll end the interview with the question i ask everybody at the end and that is what is one thing people never ask you about working in the fashion industry that you wish they did i you know i think it's just i wish people would ask me kind of what's the best way to do this Mm. instead of what I normally get, which is like, I want to make pants. How much is that? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so, you know, then I have to kind of take everybody backwards and be like, okay, well, what kind of pants, what kind of fabric, where are you making them? How many are you going to make? <laughs> and ask all those, <laughs> those horrible, annoying questions that really bog down like the creative, the creative spirit of the independent designer. But uh, again, they're there for a reason. Um, but yeah, I think coming to your vendors with more of a question of, how do I like, what's the best way to do this? Here's what I want to accomplish instead of I've decided to make pants. How much is it? That would be uh, probably my one wish. Okay. So everybody out there listening, when you sign up for your free consultation, remember (laughs) that and go in from that angle because Trisha will be so thrilled to chat with you. She'll be thrilled to chat with anybody, but (laughs) she'll be especially impressed if, if you weave that into your, your introduction. Um, thank you so much for chatting, Trisha. This was really awesome. I'm so excited about everything you're doing and can't wait to see what, uh, how this journey progresses for you and Hello World Fashion. Awesome. Thanks so much, Heidi. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. I appreciate each and every one of you and really hope that you enjoyed this episode with Trisha. Again, make sure to hit subscribe on iTunes or wherever you're listening. And if you enjoyed this episode, I'd be really appreciative if you took 30 seconds to leave your rating or review. You can do that at sfdnetwork.com slash review. Again, if you'd like to learn more about any of the resources mentioned in this episode, you can visit the show notes at sfdnetwork.com slash 41. Thanks so much. I will talk to you next week.